Welcome to the GPS Training Podcast, the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation. Welcome to the GPS Training Podcast. It's our 76th episode. This month, I have a special guest, which is Laura Briggs. So welcome, Laura, to the GPS Training Podcast. Hi, John. Thanks ever so much for having me. So if people have been reading the GPS Training Newsletter, we've mentioned Laura a number of times in it. Laura set out to try and complete the Macmillan Way um, on the 23rd of July, which people don't know, it's a 290-mile walk, well, run or walk from Boston to Abbotsbury. And she tried to do it and we're going to find out if she succeeds or not in the fastest known time, which, where you set yourself this silly target, Laura, didn't you, which you shouldn't do, of six days. Why do you set yourself this target? There's no need to do this, you know? No, I actually don't know why. I think um, some numbers were flung up in the air, and we figured that if I ran 50 miles a day, 40 on the last day, that that would come in at six days. Um Anyone who wants to run 50 miles a day over that terrain is more than welcome to do so. Um, <laughs> but you I wouldn't recommend it. Make, I didn't quite make it in the six days, but I was under seven days, so I'll take that. <laughs> right. We'll hit we'll hit the actual event stamps. We'll go all the way back to the start, really, which is tell us a little bit about your experience in running. So taking the Macmillan Way out of the equation at this moment in time, what have you done in the past, running, walking, uh, and, and yeah, you must have done ultra events in the past. So what's your kind well, of background? Yeah, I came I came to ultra events really quite, quite late in life, I suppose. I've, I've always been really interested in, you know, health and fitness. So throughout school, I really enjoyed, you know, sports. And I joined a running club when I was in my 20s, uh, just a local club where I'd run maybe once or twice a week. So I, I you know, would go 10K maybe and trained uh, in 2009 at the London Marathon, uh, which nearly broke me. But beyond that, I hadn't done any kind of long runs. Um, you know, I wasn't what I would consider, or I'm not really what you consider a natural runner. I'm not fast. Um, and long runs really didn't hold any appeal for me. I just did it to keep fit. Um, and a few years back, uh, I started working with a, a sports brand um, called Flancy, who's um, kind of CEO, um, founder, was, a, was an absolute ultra running nut uh, and still is and had run over 100 marathons ultra marathons just absolutely obsessed about ultra running and running in general actually and she kind of she sowed the seed for me and she's like oh you know I, I knew her from running club anyway as well I should say that and she suggested maybe I'd want to do an ultra and I was like I don't know but once somebody's dangled a carrot I'm the kind of person to go oh let's just give it a go and see what happens so my first ultra was a 50k and it was called the Salisbury 54321 and I'm not even sure if it, it's still going that one um, I know it's a, a walking route um, so I did that and yeah it, it was it was fun actually I, I ran it with Nick as well I kind of enjoyed it but god it was tough it was really tough um, but from then I really started going out on longer runs and running a lot more. And I suppose I learned that to be to be a better runner, it shouldn't be something that I kind of tagged on to the end of my day. It had to kind of start becoming part of my lifestyle. I've got a full-time job. I've got two kids. I've got pets. You know, I have a busy household, but I had to make time for the run and it had to be important to me. So I'd start getting up early before everybody else was awake and I'd start incorporating runs then or doing them a bit later at night so you know it rather than running becoming a kind of a secondary thing it became part of my day so however I fit it in I, I'd get a run in somewhere and yes it can be very time consuming a lot of people say to me oh, I couldn't do what you do because you know it takes up so much time it does but if you choose a time when you're not doing anything else it actually doesn't make a difference. You know, I could be watching TV or I could be going for a run. I could be asleep or I could be going for a run. It's not impacting anybody else at those times. So I learned to do a lot more of that. And it just got me in the habit of running, you know, four or five times a week rather than one or two. And I was just amazed really at how my body adapted and got used to it. You know, um, I'm just a typical mum. I'm not a, an elite, but you know, my, everything kind of changed and I got really into it. And 
if I missed a run, you know, I, I would really miss it. I, I kind of think mm, something's missing from my day. So it, it just became part of my lifestyle, really. And the, the ultra thing, I don't know, I, I like to be pushed. I like to give myself something to look forward to and to challenge myself. So that's really why I started doing the longer runs. So after the Salisbury 54321, um, then I did one called Run to the Sea. And I'm not so much of a, oh, let's sign up to a race. I just run by myself a lot of the time. So I'll take myself off to the coastal path or I'll just go from my house and run a marathon or whatever it happens to be. So I'm a bit of a lone wolf in that respect. Um, I, I'm not too scared about running on my own. Um, I'm careful, obviously, and I choose sensible times of the day. Um, or I'll run maybe with another person, but it doesn't have to be a race for me. I just do it because I enjoy it. Do you learn a lot from events? I, I find that if you go to an event and you see other people, you do pick up some quite good tips, don't you? I know Andy said on the podcast the past, no, you start the spine race, he kind of goes, everybody's got smaller bags than what I have and things <laughs> like that, where you can be doing all your training and you suddenly realise, do I have to carry as much stuff as what I am? So you do learn a lot from being in those participation events, don't you, really? I think doing both is really good practice. Um, if you're on your own, you're self-sufficient. You have to carry more stuff because no one's going to give it to you. Mm -hmm. So you learn how to deal with a lot of problems. You know, when, when something goes wrong, you've only got yourself to fix it. In races, yeah, you're right. You've got people wearing smaller bags or, you know, using certain pieces of kit that you thought, hmm, I'd never even thought of that. And that might really benefit you. Um, and also it's lovely to have an aid station, you know, someone giving you food at some point. So, you know, for that that reason, races are brilliant as well. And they do push you a little bit more because if you're on your own, you go your own pace. If you've got other people around you, you kind of try and beat the person in front or, you know, you just want to go a little bit quicker. It's a bit of a so, target yeah. ahead, isn't it, to catch up? You see that person, I can catch that person up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, even if it's a rhino, you know, yes. it's a marathon. You've like, got to get past the rhino. <laughs> exactly right that's brilliant it's a really good background so the mcmillan way and the fastest time how did that come about what was your thought process there i know when you first decided to do that's when we first got in or we first got in touch with ourselves so kind of what 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 makes anybody wake up who's doing ultra events and thinks you know what i'm gonna go and try and do 290 miles in the fastest time even though i don't even know what the fastest time is like <laughs> that's... how did that come about yeah, yeah. so there is, there is quite a backstory to it so um it started off with me thinking to myself I've done a lot of running um especially over the past few years and I don't really run for anything other than myself I don't raise money haven't done anything for charity particularly um and I just wanted to kind of give something back a little bit really um and cut you know running a marathon wasn't really going to cut it because other people know that I can run that distance or you know anyway so I I basically thought I want to do something for charity and I have a really good friend called Mo and we were chatting one day and she said oh if you do anything for charity make it Macmillan because she is currently receiving palliative care from Macmillan Cancer Support and she's been supported by them over the past seven years now actually she was diagnosed with cancer when she was 40 and she was given weeks to live, um, obviously, which in itself is super scary. But, you know, the treatment and the support she's received have meant that she's been able to have a really good quality of life um, for these past seven years and is continuing to do so, thankfully. And she just said they'd been absolutely amazing. So I thought, OK, I'm going to do something for Macmillan, but it's got to be something a bit different because you're not asking for money from people these days you know it, it's not everyone's just splashing cash and everyone has their own charities that they support anyway so it had to be something a bit a bit extra so i literally got on the computer and did some googling and i googled macmillan and i googled you know routes across the country that i thought might work and i just stumbled across this um, website which was the macmillanway.org I was like, oh, there's an actual path that was started um, by Douglas Macmillan uh, back in the 80s, I think. And it was to raise awareness of Macmillan Cancer Support and what they do. And it's just um, interlinking footpaths from, as you say, Boston to Abbotsbury. And yeah, it's uh, kind of build up being 290 miles long. 
And I went on the website and I'd seen, you know, all these people that have walked it and, you know, lovely pictures and all where you could stop and have a nice bite to eat and the pretty towns you can go shopping in on the way. And I thought, well, I wonder if anyone's run it. So I started Googling a bit more, looked up to see if there was any news articles, went on the fastest known time page, wasn't even listed as a route on there. Um, so I thought, well, maybe no one's ever run it before. And I asked around, I emailed um info at Macmillan Way and actually didn't get a response. Um, <laughs> I talked to some people at Macmillan and they said, no, we don't know anything about it. So I thought, well, if Macmillan doesn't know anything about it, I think we're on to a fairly certain thing that no one's run it before or at least not documented it. So that's how it all came about. And I thought, right, I'm going to run it. <laughs> so is, is it waymarked throughout and the I whole did. length? Is it? <laughs> is it waymarked along the whole length of the trail? I use the word waymarked very loosely. It's allegedly waymarked, yes. Um, the first day was brilliant. Um, the signposting was really clear. From then on, it started to get patchy, to be honest with you. And I think the further south I got, the worse it got. We started to hit, you know, farmland where, you know, there were suddenly hedges where, <laughs> where the path should have been. and you know, the signposting became non-existent. And, you know, that's actually when I was totally reliant on my GPS device because I couldn't have done it without it. Absolutely not a hope in hell. Um, I would say the signposting was barely bad <laughs> in a lot of areas. And sometimes you just have to think on your feet, don't you? And, you know, get around as best you can, which in some instances is what I had to do. Brilliant. So we go back to the 23rd of July, which is the date that you were going to start. Um, what did you building up to? Did you tail off as you were approaching the day, or did you? What was your longest run that you had done in training, or, or yeah, how, how did you prepare leading up to it? Did you yeah, and and what what had you learned from yourself as as you approached the event? Yeah, so I would do in the run up to the event. I was doing things like uh, running 40 miles, and then the next day running 20 miles. Um, my longest run was a 50 miler and then about I'm gonna say about three or four weeks out from the event I actually really started tapering probably way too soon and, and more than I needed to but I just knew that I needed to be fully fit I knew that my body had to rest from all the training I'd done and I wanted to go into it you know kind of raring to run like feel almost like I hadn't run enough and, and you know be chomping at the bits and so from that perspective, I went, went into it fully fit, um, you know, no injuries, no niggles. So I felt really ready. And I think listening to my body and feeling the way I felt definitely helped me get through the whole process without any injuries. Fantastic. So on the big day itself, what, what time did you set off in the, was it in the morning? Did you set off or? It was. So I remember it was the fr it, I set off on the Saturday, but on the Friday um, after school, we'd picked my children up who broke up for the summer in the camper van, dropped them off with my parents and drove straight up to Boston, which in itself is a, is a hell of a drive. So we must have got to Boston at about uh, 11 at night. And then we had to find a car park and we had to kind of set up the, the beds in the camper and figure out what we were doing. So probably got to sleep at about midnight. And then I was up at four. Um, having not really slept because I was quite excited, obviously, and we were kind of camped right next to a really busy road as well. So yeah, up at 4am and then out the door and running at 5am. That was my plan because that's when also when I had a spot tracker and that's when the tracker was turned on. So right. everyone would see at 5am that I was running. Um, and I started at uh, Boston Stump, which is the church in Boston. And that's when I, yeah, I cracked on with it. Was it a big send-off? Was there many other people there or not? Or just you and your husband? <laughs> yeah, it was my husband. Good luck, Laura. Bye-bye. See you later. <laughs> he said, oh, let's do a quick video. So I said, hi, everybody. Um, here I am in Boston and I'm just starting. I actually never even posted that video to my social media because I was so exhausted at the end of the first day. So um, it was just him saying... See you then. I'll <laughs> see you in see you in twelve miles or whenever it was. So you said you were, off I went. you said you were excited. Were you nervous, apprehensive, or were you just dying to go because you hadn't been really running for a month? 
I just wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. I talked about it and I built it up in my head for a year. Um, you know, that's how long it had been going around and around. I knew I was going to do it. And actually, you get to the point where you think, I need to start thinking about other things now. This can't be my life anymore. I have to do it. So that was that was why I was excited, because I knew that it was going to be over soon. And I just wanted it done. And did you ever have any self-doubt? Or as you were leading up to the week before, you kind of, I don't know, imposter syndrome or anything? I shouldn't be doing this? Or were you just, no? I think, I, I, I don't think like that. And I think maybe that's why I enter these stupid races or have these stupid ideas, because I I really think if you go into something thinking, oh, I might not be able to do that, that you just, you might not do it. Mm -hmm. And if you go into something feeling positive and thinking, right, I'm going to do it. I don't know how yet. And it doesn't matter how, but I'm going to do it. Then you're much more likely to succeed. And it's a lot about mindset and so yeah i don't i don't go into things thinking i'm gonna fail at this mm -hmm. i go right let's do this it is it's a, it's a mindset in anything really is if you go in with a, a fail mindset you're never going to do anything or you if you go in and say i can do it, it you will more than likely do it um yeah and also if if you're negative about something and you think you might fail then actually you never enter it in the first place mm -hmm. And you know, yeah, you, you have to just, you have to just kind of go with these things and, and you know, embrace it. And I, think I think sometimes as well, it's like breaking it down. So you don't think I'm going to go and walk or run 290 miles. What am I going to do today? You know, or what am I going to do this morning? Or yeah. what am I going to do in the next hour? What do I need to do to get to that goal? And I think that that's the way. Because if you kind of sit there at the start or you wake up at four o'clock and you think I've got 290 miles to go, you no, know, most people go, I don't know, I've never done that before. How am I going to do it? Yeah. It's just breaking exactly. it down. Exactly. And also, um, sorry to keep giving you real cliches here, but but Nikki, who I kind of got the ultra running bug from, she she gave me one really good piece of advice very early on, which was run the mile you're in. And I that's the brilliant yeah. thing to think about. Don't worry about mile 290, whatever. Worry about the mile you're in right now. Just get that done. Nothing else matters. And if you think like that, like you said, breaking things down, that's how you get it done. Mm-hmm. That anything in life isn't it it's just breaking it down into small sections and just working through it and that that one mile or the one next step it's all as easy as that isn't it yeah really? exactly exactly that so you kind of said you're gonna you're aiming to do 50 miles a day then 40 miles on your last day did you run or run the whole or walk sections of it or how did we start off and how did we finish we started off very optimistically and did 54 miles on the first day um did I run all of it? No, because I think it's very hard to do that, you know, over trail, especially. Um, it's not a road race. Um, and, you know, it's constant pounding at that kind of level as well. And also I have to stop and eat, uh, you know, and take, take little breaks here and there. And I walked a little bit on the first day, but not heaps. I, I ran where I could. Um, after that 54 miler, um then the second day was really tough for me it was really hot it was dry parched earth that i was trying to run over it was hugely exposed i was coming into the lincolnshire walls down to northamptonshire and yeah it, it kind of got to me actually it got in my head so i think it must have been about mile 30 i had a real kind of breakdown a real wobble um, and I did think, what the hell am I doing? I'm, I'm so hot. I'm like, I'm boiling in my own skin here. I felt like a boil in the bag. And I just couldn't see how I could keep going because I was going so slowly as well. So yeah, I was, I was walking little bits of the hills and thinking, I can't walk. I've got to run. I've got to run. And that was going around in my head. And that evening, kind of about six o'clock, I'd done my 30 miles and my husband said to me, look, why are you, why are you getting so het up about this? You, you've got in your own head and you need to just take a step back. Think, does it have to be done in six days? It doesn't. That was something that I just plucked out of the air. So as soon as I took that pressure off myself and learned that actually fast walking up a hill is fine, <laughs> then it all seemed to make sense. And I felt like I was back in the game again. So from there, I did, an, I did like an extra 10 miles on that second day so 40 odd and then yeah it was kind of like high 40s that I was running from then on with the last day being 28 
And so, how long does it take you to do that? How long were you running for or walking for each day then? Uh, I was moving. I was awake <laughs> probably for about 17 hours a day. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying I was running all of that time. There were, you know, I had checkpoints. So every 12 miles or so I'd stop. I'd have food. I'd check my feet. Really important. And that would take time. Um, you know, when my feet started to hurt, I had to really take care and make sure that they weren't being compromised. Any hot spots, we were on it with, you know, the blister uh, tape and all the rest of it. So I made sure that I took enough time at the checkpoints to make sure everything was good to go. Um, I didn't skimp on those, that's for sure. So did you so then, when, going back to your feet then, how were you looking after your feet? Were you just putting blister plasters on or were you taping them or Vaseline or...? or... Um, so, yeah. Basically, before I put my, I, I run in um, Vibram Five Fingers, Vibram Five yeah. Fingers, so like it's a barefoot shoe. Um, so yeah, I've got like heaps of contact with the ground. I can really feel everything, every little stone. So before I put my socks on, I like Vaseline my feet up so that there's no, um, you know, not as much friction. Um, I was lucky because it wasn't raining, so I didn't have the problem of getting wet feet. But there were, you know, maybe on kind of day one into day one I was getting a little hot spot that did turn into a blister it was literally the only blister I got but it was enormous so yeah we decided rather than lancing it I'd tape it and see how I got on and actually it didn't bother me for the rest of the time I just kept that taped and then I did tape my I did tape my feet for one day when I think they were just almost kind of breaking in you know you get into this routine of running such a long way and your and your feet start to niggle in certain places so I taped it but then once they got used to it once they knew I was up out the door at five and that was the way, what we were doing they kind of they got used to it mm -hmm. and I have to say I had no problems with my feet to be honest with you and you stopped at we say you stopped at about every 13 miles along that line that that was one of your routines checking your feet at that 13 miles that one of your, your first things you did every Not time you? every time um you get used to how you're feeling and if you're running well the last thing i wanted to do is take my shoes and socks off again because if they were feeling good i didn't want to mess around with them if i was feeling a niggle yeah they were coming off if it was too hot going in a bucket of cold water you know the worst thing was because I was running through so many cornfields and different kind of crops they had these really spiky grass and that would get into my socks and into my shoes and that was actually causing little little sores on my feet and so every time that happened I'd have to take my socks off get all the rubbish out of them you know tip my shoes out and put them back on again so that was becoming a bit of a pain i would say just because of the terrain i was running on and you said that you had you, you were going or moving for 17 hours a day were you sleeping for the other seven hours or what is is, is the eating and relaxing and then five hours sleep no i mean also 17 hours was you know some days it may have been longer mm -hmm. uh, maybe shorter my shortest day i think we actually I think I came in about half past eight in the evening and that was the lightest evening for me where I could actually see to wash <laughs> and see what I was eating, um, which was lovely. The idea was to then, yeah, go to sleep and get up again at four. Um, in reality, you only really get to sleep at about midnight and it's broken sleep. So we were kind of averaging about four hours sleep a night. And was the, was your was your husband driving the motor home and that was meeting your camper van or something and meeting? Yeah, so he had a camper van. We had a really lovely couple who run a company in Somerton called West Country Camper Vans. And um they they gave us a camper van for a week. So it was like this is such a brilliant cause you know take the van <laughs> so um yeah he's called arthur too so i, I would run to arthur and um yeah, my, husband, my husband guy was driving um and he he basically would have to obviously drive to the next checkpoint but in between that go and get the food make the food you know make the hot drinks all the rest of it so he did have quite a tough job actually um we make it sound like he had an easy job but it, it definitely wasn't and what were you eating throughout the day were you having a big meal at night or were you eating gels or anything like that as you're running no i hate gels <laughs> um, i absolutely hate gels no i eat, i eat proper food right um so i I, I use um, a hydration uh, called Active Root, so that would be my sports drink. 
um, and they do like yeah like a, a sports drink and they also do electrolytes so I would always make sure I had a bottle of um, sports drink and a bottle of electrolytes that was the, that was just standard every single checkpoint that would be refilled and then in terms of food I, I had these really kind of lovely idea in my head before we went of you know sitting down eating a nice lunch and having a nice dinner eating something for breakfast and so I packed stuff like you know, things like pot noodles and, um, you know, uh, salted potatoes. And my friend, bless her, she made me some kind of ready-made meals like chilies and curries with rice and wraps. And Reality was I would just eat what I could stomach mm-hmm. when I could stomach it in any form. So I, I found that I could eat fruit. Um, that was going down. Okay, so ne- nectarines and flat peaches. They were brilliant. So I'd always have like a flat peach in my bag and bananas um, for when I was on the move. But when I stopped, it would be like cold pasta pots or the potatoes mixed with a tin of tomatoes. Very often cold, often the same thing again for breakfast. It was really food is fuel. Um, the, The whole taste thing and enjoying a meal totally went out the window. And from day two, I had nausea so I was nauseous for about four days solid and so just eating even the thought of eating was just repellent but I knew I had to do it. Did you find so with the-, the weather change the, if the weather did the weather change much over the six days? It was hot okay. <laughs> it was hot the whole time um what I did find was as I said to you day two was the worst because it was super hot um the rest of the days I had cloud cover but what that meant was that the humidity was pretty mega and and that was tough to run in for sure so it was never a cool day it was never kind of optimal running weather i would say and the last day actually hitting abbotsbury was searingly hot as well and i think that probably affected you know like i said feeling nauseous that that possibly had a lot to do with it that's what i was thinking more on the diet side you see i think when temperatures change it affects very much what you eat isn't it you know if you do an ultra event in november I do. I, I eat pork pies, but actually, if I do it in July, I, I vomit a bit of pork pie in July and yeah, an ultra event. Exactly. You're looking for quiches I, and I'm light things. Yeah, that's exactly, <laughs> so I, I know exactly where you're coming from. It's, uh, that's why it's question because it, for me, it's like I suddenly, I, oh, I love that last time I had that, and then I eat it. Someone go, I can't, I can't even. St- and your taste buds are changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you know, I'd have, I had this idea that I'd, I'd eat eating sweets to like really keep me going and the the idea of eating any more sugar Mm -hmm. was just I couldn't bear it like all I wanted to do was to brush my teeth I just felt like I had sugary teeth the whole time it's disgusting Mm -hmm. um and I just didn't want anything sugary but equally I knew I needed the sugar you know just to keep my brain going if nothing else so you're eating stuff that actually if you're not running if your body is in a you know a happy state it'd be delicious Mm -hmm. But when you're running it, you're like, I don't want it. I don't want it. Just give me a handful of nuts or, you know, some cold pasta and I'll try and keep it down. It's interesting what you said about fruit as well, because it's that natural sugar. You think you're going to be eating sweets, but actually the natural sugar in in pears, as you say, or or peaches or apples or something, doesn't half give you a boost, doesn't it, sometimes? Amazing. And then because I was eating these flat peaches, they were also really juicy. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like having a nice drink as well because it was so hot, like we said. So it felt fresh. It felt a bit healthier. Um, And for me, that was that was the real saving grace, actually. No, because this is the GPS training podcast and we got involved with you rather GPS. We have to talk about the navigation, don't we? So people don't, well, people don't know, but you first approached us and said, I'm doing this event. Can you help me in some way? So we loaned you our GPS map 65. Have we got it back yet, Laura? I don't think we have. Have we got it back? Have you posted it back to us? I don't know if you posted the GPS unit back to us. Well, there's a story there. It's here. I see it the now over Zoom. The reason I haven't posted it back to you <laughs> The reason I didn't post it back to you yet, and that's today's job, by the way, is because I wanted verification from fastest known time that I'd got it. I was quite nervous about sending the device back and having somebody wipe it before I just knew that I'd got that goal. So that's why. But it's coming back to you. <laughs> it's okay. There's no rush joking. So have you heard back then, have you, that this is the fastest time, have you? It got verified yesterday. Well, congratulations. So, yeah. yeah. Well done. Thank you, you very much. Very good. <laughs> that's very good. So I know you 
I, I, when you first said, can I borrow a GPS unit? I said, yeah, I'm very happy to loan you a GPS unit, but I need to show you how to use it. Because in the past, when people have asked us things, we loan them, then they go, oh, I didn't really use it. I didn't really know what I should be doing with it. So I said, yeah, well, mm-hmm. I will give you a, a one-to-one with Andy, who's on his holidays. Andy takes the whole of August off as a holiday. What a life he must have. <laughs> <No, lucky. laughs> um, and yeah, you did a one-to-one Zoom with Andy, didn't you, where he went over the basics and helped you get going with yeah. it. Um, yeah. Did you find that helpful, did you? So Andy was brilliant. First of all, you guys sent me a load of YouTube tutorials, which I went through well in advance of my run, actually, because I just wanted to get to get used to the basics. And I took it out on some training runs with me to try and figure out what I needed and what I needed to learn um, just in case, you know, it went wrong on on the day. Um, So when I had my training with Andy, I knew exactly what I needed to ask him. And he, he was brilliant. He took me through everything. So from my perspective, I needed to record the whole route. Um, And it was things like, you know, how do I save a route at the end of the day? How do I then go back in and and view, you know, the, the statistics from that route? And you know, when I'm actually looking at the map, because obviously I, I need to know where I'm going. So the route's uploaded on it, which is brilliant. I can see that really clearly. How do I kind of zoom in and out? How do I know how far away I am from the next, um, you know, landmark or something? Just And there were heaps of times where I was totally, or felt totally lost. And I used uh, I used the GPS um, to, to kind of zoom in, find out exactly what the street names were, where, you know, and I could look around me and say, okay, this is absolutely right. So it was an absolute lifesaver for me because I've got a Garmin watch as well, which was my backup in the end. I thought, oh, yeah, I'll just use the watch and then this could be the backup, you know, the handheld could be the backup, but actually totally the other way around because A, the battery life on my watch wasn't as good and B, when I was navigating with the watch, it doesn't show you all those landmarks and street names that the that the GPS map shows you. So from that perspective, I needed this when I was in a sticky situation, but also I just, I held it for a lot of the time and I just would just check in with it and make sure I was still on the route, um, which was really important. Did you find the GPX file online for it then, did you, or did you, for- that, did you load that on the GPX file? Yeah. So, like I said to you before, when I when I googled uh, Macmillan Way, the MacmillanWay.org website has the GPX of the Macmillan Way. So that's the one I uploaded because that's obviously somebody's walked it. Mm-hmm. It is correct. I mean, it's the correct GPX, but it's hugely out of date. It hasn't obviously hasn't been updated for years. Um, so there were sections of that that are now closed off. So for, for example, I got to Boston and the, you get to the uh, port of Boston, I think it's called. And that's where the start of the Macmillan Way is, is a big sign, Macmillan Way. And then you get there and it says danger, keep out, no entry, no access, diversion. So you have to go through a training estate. <laughs> so things like that. And like I said, where farmers have put up fences and hedges you know, this is to, also housing developments. You know, my God, so many housing developments have gone up since that GPX was written that it's totally different now. Um, so, yeah, I basically was following the GPX from the website, but I was having to adapt, like we said, on my way and, you know, go around those estates and find the new paths as I went. Because you had it on all the time, because it runs off double A batteries. How long were the batteries lasting in it? Well, interesting. So, first of all, I use the, I actually purchased some of the Garmin batteries that come in like a two-pack. I think I've got them here to show you, but um, yeah, like in the power pack almost, which I could charge through a cable. Mm -hmm. And I was using those and I was finding that I was having to charge it kind of almost at the end of my run, maybe like 40 miles in. And... That was fine, but a little bit of a pain. And then I just tried using normal batteries and <laughs> Duracell, and they lasted the whole, you know, they'd last a full day. Yeah. So in the end, they worked out better for me. So that battery life was perfect. Do you know, it's quite um, funny you say that about those Garmin batteries. If you've ever just been on a GPS training course with myself, I actually prop, prop my projectors on the little boxes that those batteries come in, you know. And I always say mm-hmm. the only use for Garmin batteries is to put my projector at the right height when I'm doing my presentation because <laughs> they are, I frankly, useless-like, aren't they? 
Yeah, and they're not cheap either. Um, so I was quite surprised actually. Um, and if you charge them up, obviously you charge them up with the cable. The second you take the cable out, it's already like dropped a bar on the battery, mm -hmm. which was bizarre. So yeah, I was just you know Duracell all the way to be honest with you. Very good, excellent. So <laughs> then that's good on navigation. Now high points and low points of the walk. So what was the high point of the? We'll start on the positive now. What was the high point of your um, of your walk stroke run? Well, there were a few high points, to be honest with you. The high points were meeting friends on the way. So people kind of just turned up quite randomly, actually, to, to wave me on and give me a clap, which was lovely because I totally didn't expect it. The first person I saw um, was on the kind of Oxfordshire-Gloucestershire border. So uh, my friend... Graham, who I mentioned briefly, came out to meet me and ran just three miles with me that day. But you know what? It gave me such a boost. And then on the same evening, um, a man called Rob was parked up in his car and he was just kind of waving out the window with a, a bottle of pineapple juice. <laughs> and he was shouting, go Briggsy, go Briggsy, you can do it. Did you know Rob, did you? I don't know Rob, <laughs> other than I know Rob through Facebook. All oh, right, and okay. I did have to apologise to him and say, you know, I'm really sorry uh, <laughs> um, for not recognising you immediately. But now I know who he is, so it's all good. So I'm going to tell you a funny story there. I I did, I did a, a walk it'd be a couple of years ago now, and, um, and and I had a spot tracker on like yourself. I was doing it for charity, and uh, a friend had walked with me, and it was like he bailed out at two o'clock in the morning or something along those lines. So I thought I was have a quiet time on my own, put my airpods in and just walked you know in the middle of the night and I was coming along this yeah. bit of a track by the it was on the Northumberland coastal path and I could see these head torches up above where there should not have been head torches this was a track and I kind of thought this is like 3 3 30 in the morning why are these people out here and kind of like so as I approached this gate kind of went hello I took my airpods out of bed hello I said is it John I went Yes, and he said, oh, "We've been following you on the tracker for days. Like, can we can we join you?" And they went, "Oh yeah." I said, "We they was they were supporters of the charity at one of the charities I was raising some money for, and uh, he was actually lovely. a musician that used to play at some of the open gardens. And with COVID and things, he was unable to do it. So he thought, "I'll come and support you instead." So they walked with me at about half past three in the morning, just for half an hour, and they were the nicest people ever. And when I met That's my lovely. wife, you know, maybe ten miles later, when I was actually sleeping that night, and I said, "You're not going to believe it, these random people." <laughs> who I frankly can't even remember the names and, and it was really so humbling and I, I was in that moment where I was exhausted and I just lifted myself up and like these people just were all this enthusiasm came back into me now and uh, it was fantastic to meet it's just, amazing it is isn't and it? I couldn't I couldn't believe actually how many people got so addicted to mm -hmm. watching the dot on the spot tracker and yeah they would turn up in the absolute back in the beyond in the middle of nowhere because they've been tracking me and you know, one of my friends and my neighbour who turned out to see me in a little village called Galhampton said, oh, we've gone to Castle Carey, but you were too quick. And then we went to Bruton, but you you passed us again. And, and now we're here. You know, they've been following me to try and catch up. And it was just it was just so lovely. So, yeah, and meeting a, a really dear friend of mine who'd been ringing me kind of every day and texting me every day, really positive things. I, I caught up with her in Bradford-on-Avon as well. And it it was those times when I just thought, you know, yeah, this is what it's really about. It's, it's so lovely that people have come out to support me. So then the opposite end, what was the low point? There must have been a point where you thought, I'm not going to do it. God, it, it was the, the lack of sleep. Mm -hmm. Um as an overarching low point, I was just, you know, dragging myself out at, at five in the morning. And, you know, those first three miles were essentially me trying to wake up um, in some way. And I'd start, you know, I'd start running or trying to run and, and you have to kind of run through a pain barrier. You know, it's gonna happen. You know, your feet are screaming at you to stop. They're like, what the hell are you doing? And, and that is really tough because you just have to think, this really hurts right now, but it's going to get better. And by mile four, you're like, oh, I can run again now. <laughs> We've got back into the swing of it. So that that's hard. That's really hard. Um, the, the terrible food, obviously, as I mentioned before, the feeling sick. And that second day for me, that day two, bizarrely, was the toughest day. 
Uh, I don't think that happens for many people. I think normally it's day three or four, but yeah, for me, day two. <laughs> Is that because you think you had, you thought what ahead of you, do you know, like I'm so early on in it, you've still got a lot ahead of yourself or do you think it was just the train, the heat or just? I think, I think I, the heat knocked me for six, if I'm honest, you know, I, I kind of, I knew it was going to be hot, but I kind of hadn't banked on it being, being quite that bad. The other, the other kind of low point I would say as well was, running through woodlands in the Cotswolds when I really felt, oh my God, like I'm here totally on my own. Anybody else could be in these woods. Um, I don't I don't know this area, you know, there are loads of fallen trees. It was pretty, pretty grim underfoot actually. This is meant to be like one of the most beautiful parts of the country. And I'm just thinking, I just want to get out of this woodland. I just want to get out before the light drops. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking six, seven o'clock at night, thinking any any time it's gonna the sun's going down, I do not want to be stuck in here. That was scary. And what kept you motivated throughout the whole ordeal? So Mo, because I was running it for Macmillan, um, another friend, dear friend of mine, who I lost literally a week before I started running from cancer again, those people, you know, were in my mind and I was thinking nothing's as tough as what they've gone through or are going through. Um, and I think that that really kept me going because I was like, this, this hurts a little bit for me, but I can walk and I can do this and I'm strong and I have my health. And and you just think, actually, in, in the grand scheme of things, this kind of pales into insignificance. And if I can't just run 40-odd miles, you know, what's the point? So, yeah, it keeps me going. Did the fundraising going up during the event keep you motivated seeing the fundraising going up? Absolutely. So before I started, I hit like £4,000, which was amazing. Um, and my goal was 5000 Wow. But during the run, it just skyrocketed. So, yeah, I think now I'm kind of, now it's all over. We're on about 6,600, 6,700, which, it, you know, it was totally beyond my expectations. And every time I looked at my phone in the evening and, and I could see it, ping, 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 you've had another donation, you've had another donation. Yeah, it just mm-hmm. keeps you going because you know that people are really rooting for you as well. Yeah. I bet Mo was over the moon with about how much money was being raised over the time, was she? Yeah, she was totally amazed and really delighted that it's going to help, you know, so many other patients, um, essentially. She was there at the finish line with her husband as well, which was really lovely. Um, you know, really, you know, really, really her as well, because she's going through treatments and, you know, it's not always easy to get out. And uh, yeah, there she was. So. And was, <laughs> it a, was it a celebration at the end or was it just like, I'm glad this is over with? It was great because I finished at a decent time. It was about half five in the afternoon and my parents and kids were there and, you know, loads of friends and family. And it was on the beach, you know, it was Chesil Beach and, you know, it was a hot day and everyone was like, Woo, you know, <laughs> it was a banner. And that was great coming through the finish line. But then, then suddenly I thought, oh, my God, I'm so tired. I am so tired. And all I wanted to do was kind of get my feet cold and get actually get into the sea. So I let I jumped into the sea. Um, and then I thought that probably wasn't the best thing to do because what happens when you get your feet super cold after you've done so many miles is your feet then start kind of really kind of feeling the pain. <laughs> the sensation came back to them. I realized how much they hurt and I was nearly in tears because I just thought, oh my god this is super sore i just need to i just need to get off this beach anyway i went and lay down for a bit and um people dissipated i was too exhausted to do anything really other than say thank you ever so much so was a celebrating meal or drink or anything like that not on that day we drove straight home i couldn't wait to get home to be honest with you i just wanted to get home um, you know, the games were on. It was just lovely to sit down and do absolutely nothing. That, for me, was a celebration. Oh, brilliant. So then, can I summarise, if you, if you did it again, what would you do differently, knowing now what you've known over doing it, doing this event? Okay, well, number one, I'm not running the Macmillan way again. That is 100%. <laughs> what would I do differently? Um if I wanted to run it quicker, which would, you know, if, if anyone does something again, they want to improve upon their, their time before, then I think I'd need another member of crew, to be honest. For Guy to do all of what he did was phenomenal. Um, 
But what we found was it was, like I said to you, very lonely running. So a, a few people had come out to run a few miles with me here and there. But in the grand scheme of things, I was on my own. So it would be really nice to have a bit of a support runner. So someone you could drop off and then pick up later on in the van, you know. So for somebody else doing this, they might, you know, and they don't want to be totally on their own. That's a consideration. Um, other things that I kind of learnt... Oh, it's tough, isn't it? Because for me, it actually all went right. Right. It went right. I think I think you have to go a little bit with your eyes more wide open. So I wasn't prepared for the terrain, if I'm honest. I, I knew it'd be hilly, but I really wasn't expecting those hills. Um, and that kind of came as a bit of a shock, which it shouldn't have done. You know, you look at the map, you look at the topography, you can see exactly how hilly it is. But in my head, <laughs> that didn't kind of factor in. And so when I was trying to run those hills, my gosh, I wasn't really 100% prepared. So I think just go in maybe a little bit eyes wide open about, just, about it's funny you say that i speak to a lot of people who are doing events and that is one of the most common things that people say they <laughs> underestimate the hills because actually they, they know they're going to do so many miles per day so they often do their training walks in quite easy terrains just so i've yeah. done my 50 miles i've done my 26 miles yeah. because actually to go and do it on mountainous areas actually will exhaust them so they tend so a number of the people i've spoken to said i really wish i'd done more training in the hills maybe shorter distances to get that hill fitness going really yeah i mean yes i'm one of those people i live in the somerset levels you know i i don't have a huge amount of hill opportunity around here so i have to go and find them um yes i had made sure i'd run some hills but not on that level no and in, if i did it again i'd be sure to take myself off to a bit more of a, a mountainous area or hilly area and get some real training in mm-hmm. hopefully that well that may have put you off so maybe it wasn't a good thing if you, yeah maybe maybe <laughs> realize what was ahead of you had done that so it, i know it can go two ways sometimes it, you know ignorance is bliss isn't it and it's, actually yeah. You know, you've just got to do it. You get there, you realise it's tough, but you, you're committed, aren't you? That's so That's good. what happened with me. <laughs> so if people want to donate, I think it's still open. The Just Giving page, isn't it? I think it's still it there. It is still open. Yeah, it is. And people can still donate. And the um, website address is www.justgiving.com forward slash Briggsy1. Fantastic. What I'll do, I'll put a link on the show notes. So if people want to uh, find that link, I'll put it below the podcast and then they can find there and if they want to know it because actually there's quite a lot of information on there as well about your preparation for the walk as well isn't there and it's it's yeah, nice also yeah. to read some of the messages of the people who were following you as they were doing it was great it's quite nice to read through some of those uh yeah cheer ons from a distance weren't they really oh it's so lovely yeah it's really nice to read what what people have written and you know i also just got to say thank you so much because Without the, you know, without the device, I, I couldn't have done it. You know, I absolutely couldn't have done it. It was an absolute godsend. It was something. It was a real crutch for me for the whole, for the whole journey, um, and it was, it was a vital tool at the end of the day. So thank you for, for lending it to me and enabling me to get it done. Well, well done to you for thinking about the navigation. Because a lot of these people, when they do events, they just think, oh, I need to be fit to do it, and don't really oh, think about how they're going to navigate around. And I, I say, I've done a number of events where you see people running around at two o'clock in the morning on their Garmin watches, going, this is all wrong. I, I can't work out what I'm doing. I'm going, is it not down to user area? Because mine's going in the right direction, or my GPS is, and they're going yeah, to so. Yeah. Um, a lot of people just think it's running, going to be way marks and they'll just follow the arrows and it'll be easy. No, the running was the easy bit, actually. that The running was, you know, that's easy. It's one foot in front of the other. But the hard bit was the navigation and the mental effort because you get lost or you take a wrong turning. You've lost half an hour, um, you know, because then and then you start to doubt yourself, which is really, you know, it's really important that you're clear on where you're going. If you start to doubt yourself, you're just wasting time, you're wasting time, the lights fading and all the rest of it. So, yeah, that is much harder. You need to be really clued up on where you're going. I practiced, actually, I'd gone up to Boston and I practiced 40 miles at the beginning so that I was clear and I practiced the end. So at least I knew that I'd have a bit of confidence at the start and at the end at the end to know exactly where I was going. Um the middle bit, I thought, well, I'm just going to have to wing it a bit, which I did. But as I say, I, I had the tools for the job. So I, there was never any doubt that I wasn't 
you know, going to find my way. The problem is it's such a long distance. It's hard to kind of proof walk it or run it beforehand, isn't it? Where a lot of people do events will proof walk it and get a proper GPX file of it. But like for you to do 290 miles, no, it, it's it's just, it's, there's too much commitment involved in it there, isn't it? It's, it's impossible really to do. Yeah. And like I say, you know, when you, you've got a family and you're trying to work and all the rest of it, fit, fitting all that in, it, it is just... It's impossible, really. You know, you can you can do so much, but but you you can't do all of that. And I will also say that the total number of miles for the new GPX file that I produced is actually two hundred ninety six point fifty eight. So that's that's how far I ran. So those those extra six miles of diversions, or these six miles of getting lost, are they, or the bit of both? Yeah, I think it's uh, a little bit of both. It's a little bit of having to reroute. Um, like I said, things like housing developments take you in, in different directions. I think the original GPX probably was a little bit short. Um, and yeah, definitely there's a bit of, you know, running around field twice or something like that, for sure. It's been fantastic speaking with you, Lloyd. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope that a lot of the listeners will have got something out of it. Hopefully it's motivated them to do um maybe not quite the distance you've done, but actually uh, maybe do something a bit longer. Um before you go, what are you going to do next then? How do you follow on from such an epic... I suppose you're going to sit back and relax for a year and just savour on the moment and do a few other podcasts and tell everybody how easy it was? I'd love to say that. I've actually already um, entered another ultra marathon, which is in about three weeks' time. And, yeah, I might have something up my sleeve for next year as well, but the thing I'm just is, kind of mulling that over. It's going to be so hard to top that because you've not gone in and done. I've done a hundred and something miles. You've gone in and done a ridiculous amount. So actually, yeah. to you never well, you, you, you've gone up as high as you can go. Well, as I think you can go. Yeah, anyway. I'm, not, I'm not planning on maybe topping that, but it's always nice just to have something different to look forward to, isn't it? So yeah, just keep thinking over. That's what I say. <laughs> Many thanks then, Laura, for joining me on the GPS Training Podcast. Again, I'll put a link in below to Laura's Just Giving page. And again, if anybody wants to read more about it, they can do there. And yeah, thank you very much. And uh, I'm glad we could help in some small way. Um, it's actually quite interesting because we get a lot of emails from people. And uh, they say, actually, um, people listen to the podcast. People know what we do, kind of helping people out. And they say it's quite nice if a business has some ethics of trying to help other people in, in a nice way, not just thinking of ourselves. So I do really appreciate our feedback from the, the listeners. And uh, I must say also, I said to you earlier on, it's really nice that you embrace, let's get some training, let's do it properly. Because I think otherwise, yeah, your, your, your extra six miles or eight miles or whatever would have been a lot further, I would have thought, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it was it was amazing. And, you know, I'm really grateful for your support. And, you know, essentially, that's that's help for Macmillan as well. So thank you. That's fantastic. Thanks very much, Laura, for joining me. And it's very much appreciated. Thanks for listening to the GPS Training Podcast, the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation.